You're listening to Quick and Dirty History, the show about American history on the go. When we talk about westward expansion, at the forefront is the migration of free frontiersmen and farmers. We often forget that southern slaveholders were expanding west at the same time. The American South had become the world's leader in the production of the most important global commodity of the time, cotton. Along with the investment in cotton was the investment in human property. There was no bigger corporation than slavery. By 1830, slaveholders had $30 million invested in slaves. And only about 30 years later, in 1860, that number was closer to $3.5 billion. In 1860, $3.5 billion is an astronomical amount of money. That accounted for 4 million slaves, making the United States the country with the second most slaves in the world after Russia. Russia and America, first and second place in slavery. Cotton was booming, and that meant slavery was booming. For this big corporation to keep expanding, as newly annexed territories in the West opened up, Big Cotton set their eyes on expanding as well. It was that expansion of slavery into the Western territories that would eventually break the bonds that held the United States together. Although it wasn't just the pro-slavery movement that was in full force, the anti-slavery movement or abolitionist movement was also thriving. Harriet Beecher Stowe published one of the most pivotal and widely read books of the time, Uncle Tom's Cabin. The book told the story of Uncle Tom, a black enslaved man, and the various peoples he encountered while enduring the harsh realities of slavery in the South. The book portrayed the cruelty of slave owners and the suffering of enslaved individuals, and it opened the eyes of people who didn't have a grasp of the situation before. The book raised awareness about the evils of slavery and galvanized anti-slavery sentiment in the North. And it helped shift the public opinion against slavery. The delicate balance of which states were free and which were slave states came down to the Missouri Compromise, as discussed in a previous episode. But with the passage of the Kansas-Nebraska Act, everything changed. It was an act to organize the territories of Nebraska and Kansas, repealing the Missouri Compromise, which had outlawed slavery above the 36-30 latitude in the Louisiana territories. According to the Missouri Compromise, both Kansas and Nebraska should have been free states. Democrats proposed that the people of the territories should decide the question of whether slavery was allowed or not. While Nebraska opted to be a free state, in Kansas that decision wasn't so easily made. Protesters and activists on both sides rushed to Kansas to create upheaval, and the outcome was arson, murder, and acts of intimidation from both pro- and anti-slavery groups. It was just a little taste of what was yet to come in this country. After pro-slavery folks sacked an anti-slavery town, the abolitionist John Brown and his sons killed five pro-slavery activists. The ordeal became known as Bleeding Kansas. A group of anti-slavery activists, including former members of the Whig Party, Free Soilers, and abolitionists met to protest the Kansas-Nebraska Act and formed what would become the Republican Party. Their initial platform focused on opposing the spread of slavery into new territories and states and dedicated themselves to the idea of free labor. This new Republican Party ran our buddy John C. Fremont, but he lost to a Democrat named James Buchanan. 
Eventually, President James Buchanan sent troops to squash the upheaval, and anti-slavery forces won, admitting Kansas as an anti-slavery state to the Union. The story doesn't end there, though. The succession of slave-holding southern states had already begun. The political parties in America were throwing middle fingers and mud at each other. The party lines were drawn, and so was the line between the states that supported and opposed slavery and they were willing to go to war over it.